It's Movie Geeks United. Thanks for tuning in for another great week of movie talk. Yay. Uh, next week, hey, next week, next Sunday, uh, Adam, uh, we will be off. Okay. Uh, but the plan is that Dean and I won't be off because we'll be taping the finale of our game show. Mm-hmm. The oh, game wow. show that premieres, the game show that premieres Monday July 23rd, and it runs every night through Friday, the 27th. Uh, so it's called Movie Geek Game Night. It's really good. Uh, I'm having fun doing it. Are all the contestants having a good time? Oh, no, they're miserable. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear it in, the, can you hear it in, their, in their voices when they talk amongst themselves while you tabulate the story? <laughs> Yeah, so it's a it's a good time, but the uh, funny thing is, one of our listeners who's taking part, uh, when I told him that uh, okay, you, you've been chosen, you can you can attend this next show, taping, and they uh, they said okay, I'll start studying up on my Marjo Gortner. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Very good. <laughs> That's great. Nice. Yeah. Are there any Marjo Gortner so, questions? <laughs> No. I don't know anything about the questions, everybody. <laughs> Nothing. Oh, yeah. Right. I don't, I don't yeah, even get I would, to listen to the, sh- the shows beforehand, the previous shows. That's right, because your show will will be taping the day before the whole thing airs, so you won't even know. Yep. Yeah, I'm coming in completely blind, just like you guys, so I have mm-hmm. no idea. I can't. There's no way I can study. I don't even. I don't even know how I can do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the nature of the questions. So uh, hey, I went to see that Whitney last night. It, it's not called that Whitney. It's called Whitney. <laughs> that <laughs> Whitney. <laughs> yeah. That would be the comedy version. That Whitney. <laughs> yeah. From the makers of that darn cat. Uh, <laughs> it, it was. Um, it was really good, man. Uh, because you realize as you're watching it how much gossip crap, how much tabloid TV style yeah. stuff has been dedicated to her downfall. And so it makes you really appreciative when you see a very uh, formidable formidable piece of documentary filmmaking about her. I mean, there are some sequences in this movie that are, are, are bravura uh, sequences. And, you know, I got chills kind of early in the movie when it starts to track her uh, her ascent, her stardom, when that kicks in, and they started off with an isolated vocal track from uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody. 
uh, and it, it it really is chill inducing. <laughs> so just, mm-hmm. just the way he, it's all in conceptualization and editing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. But uh, it's it's so well done, and it, and it honestly makes you care about Whitney Houston. Mm. Uh, now I do not I do not think it's in the same vein as the Elvis Presley movie that's coming out, The King, um, mm-hmm. because and I, granted I have not seen The King, but the the use of uh, like newsreel footage and and what's going on in the world that's in Whitney, it's very sparing. I mean, it's only, it's only done like three or four times. And it's really to give you a sense of time frame in her life. Mm. Um, whereas with the King, the documentary on Elvis, I think they use Elvis to give content on today to, to America. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. Whereas this one, it uses occasionally it uses stuff that's going on in the country and elsewhere to give context to where Whitney was in her career. It's kind of a different goal. Mm. Mm. Um, because it does get confusing because uh, toward, towards it could have been confusing because towards the end, the third act, um, you're all over the place and you're not quite sure what time frame you're in. So then they show a quick shot of Clinton and you're like, okay, I know where I am now. Uh, uh, okay. it's, that, it's that kind of, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes it has greater meaning where you know what was at stake when she did the Super Bowl anthem or you know what was going on in her hometown when she was born and, and grew up. Um, but it's, it's, really, it's really very good. It, it's very good because it has a good filmmaker behind it and knows what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. So I would recommend it. I do too. <laughs> I saw a really, really good documentary, uh, another uh, biopic kind of documentary on Cecil Beaton. Uh, if you're a major film fan, you might recognize that name. He won two Oscars for designing uh, the costumes and the art direction for My Fair Lady. And then won the previous, a uh, couple of years previous for designing the costumes to uh, Gigi. And uh, he was a really, really interesting guy. If you if you don't know his name, he was uh, he was a member of the uh, the Pretty Young Things, the uh, the group of uh, artists that uh, gathered together in Britain in the in the forties and the thirties, uh, and were the uh, avant garde uh, uh, the holders of the avant garde back then. And uh, it was just, it was very, very moving. He was, he was very confused, uh, if not just sexually, but also he was a gay man. But he also had an affair with, uh, with uh, Greta Garbo. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, you can imagine that that would be very confusing. Uh, but uh, a really, really moving documentary about an artist struggling to find his place in the art world. Uh, he was interested in so many things. He was a great fashion photographer. He uh he was a war photographer. Uh he photographed the war like like he he approached war photography like he did his uh fashion photography in a lot of ways. He tried to find the beauty in the in the uh 
in the men who were fighting and and uh, uh, just very very unusual uh, artist uh, who really was interested in so many different things that he almost couldn't find his way and it's a it's a great documentary by Lisa Emerdino uh, Breland she's Diana Breland's daughter. Uh, she did a documentary about her mother a few years ago. She also did a documentary on Peggy Guggenheim, who uh, who was a famous art, artist patron in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, anyway, it's a great doc, and it's hitting uh, it's hitting theaters on uh, on the 27th of this month. Uh, it'll be at uh, at Landmark and. I highly, highly recommend it. It's one of the best movies of the year. What's it called? It's called uh, Love Cecil. Okay. Sounds interesting. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. If you're a movie fan, you'll dig it. And if you're just an artist, art fan, you'll dig it. Mm-hmm. It's much, much better than a lot of the. Uh, there's been a spate of like uh, documentaries about. Designers recently. Uh, yeah, there's one about Betsy Johnson out there, and mm-hmm. there's been a lot of those. I, I imagine it's it's a badge of honor amongst the uh, in the in the design community to get a documentary made by you about you because there's there's been a lot well, of them. It, it's all by design. Yeah, Adam, have huh. you have you seen uh, have you seen anything? I have saw uh, two new releases this past week, which is about the average for me. Um, did see Boundaries, the new one with uh, Christopher Plummer and Vera Farmiga. Oh yeah, and it's the one that's um, directed by Shanna Festi. I think that's how you pronounce that last name there. And she's the director of Country Strong from 2011, and ooh, a couple other things. I'm trying to think what the what the one the the first one she did, the greatest. That's it. The first movie she did back in 2010, and she co-wrote Endless Love remake. And uh, this kind of falls into line with the rest of her stuff. It it has some interesting moments. The performances are good, but. You know, the material's just kind of middle of the road. It's a road trip. In this case, literally middle of the road because it's a road trip movie. Uh, where you have Vera Farmiga. She's a single mother in Seattle, and she's got this. Uh, she, uh, The movie opens with her and her current boyfriend, and there's about, I'd say, about a dozen dogs on her bed, uh, <laughs> which tells you right off the bat that she has a serious problem with with, with uh taking animals in as a way to fill up some sort of big hole in her mm-hmm. life. And, and mm-hmm. was, I mean, it goes beyond just caring for animals to being, well, there, there's a serious issue there. You can tell and the boyfriend kind of leaves in disgust with all the animals mm-hmm. and all that around. And so then she gets a call from Christopher Plummer. He's having all these problems at the nursing home facility where he's staying, a retirement village more or less. And so he decides he wants to go live with, the other daughter, and so they have to take this road trip, and that, that necessitates the plot of the film where they grow closer together, and she's 
learn kind of figures out what it is she's running from and why she's so compelled to take in these animals at every turn and mm-hmm. uh you know like i said it's 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 not bad there are some good moments in there i can't really say it's a great film but it, there's enough to keep you interested and a good talk of a movie i guess you would say so <laughs> i'm i have a problem with just all the road trips in these indie movies yeah uh, i guess the way to get way to get some visual flair in a movie in a cheap way but uh and i guess i guess we have our most significant conversations these days in cars it's about the only time <laughs> uh a lot of us are able to spend time together uh these days well yeah so that's true uh yeah i don't know how you guys feel about that well, I I try to make a, a a point of having dinner with my my friends, uh, you know, at least once a month. My circle of friends I have that live near me, and there's probably close to half a dozen of them, I guess. And we we get together at least one one day out of the month, or try to anyway, and ha- and have dinner and catch up. So that's that's the way I do it. You know, I try to make sure there's some FaceTime with my friends instead of just mm-hmm. this you know social media stuff. Uh, I I try to make a cognizant instead of the the shit we do well you know it's different we're 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 geographically uh challenged shall we say so we we have to do this but we still stay in touch when even when we're not doing this we 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 try to call each other and check up on one another and see how we're doing and yeah and that's you know so we're not just doing the social media thing so we we make we make the effort too and and yeah, but but yeah, I think I think in the in the the, the society we live in, there is a, a lot of tendency to, you know, everybody's on their little devices, and I I try to just make myself not do that. It it is hard though; it's tough, but uh, you know, sometimes you just gotta gotta make the effort to to do the. And yeah, yeah, this is a you're right. The the road trip thing in these indie movies is is a very lazy device. It's gotten to be a, a very uh, tired cliche U- ubiquitous yeah yeah it, it has and this is like i said these, these actors are great i mean i I love vera from i love christopher Plummer, uh, bobby cannavale he cannavale he turns up oh at i one always point like in the him movie. oh yeah so he's i mean you know yeah, like i said I, I think i think i think vera vera formiga is very uh very appealing compelling she is yeah, yeah. she is, she is. And so, uh, yeah. And uh, I hear that. Yeah, I heard that it was uh, the the actors outclassed the actual material in it. Yeah, they mm. do. which they is do. what you're saying. But yeah, Bobby that's... for Bobby Carnavale was interviewed the other night on uh, Kimmel, I think, mm. and Kimmel asked him about the Irishman. And uh, Carnavale in the film, Carnavale plays older than De Niro. He plays De Niro's oh. boss. Okay. Which, wow. So he he is playing opposite the seventies De Niro in it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. so cool. Wow. wow. That's a one. That's a one-two punch next year. That and the Tarantino. I mean, what what a year. <laughs> yeah, that's just just on the basis of those two titles alone. Yeah, and I have a feeling there's going to be some surprises before before too long of things that we don't know about yet that might get announced. So, yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's that's something. I'm excited, but yeah, I did see Equalizer two. That's the other one, the other new release. Which oh no! 
Yeah. <laughs> I well, you know, the first one was decent. I can't say it was uh-huh. terrible. I, I didn't think it was particularly great, but it was interesting enough, and Denzel was good, and so I, I you know, my expectations were kind of low for this one. I actually enjoyed this one more than I did the first one. I thought the 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 plot there's kind of two plots in this one there's an a plot and a b plot the a plot concerns and it, it's a little tired you, we've seen it so many times where the an old co-worker gets reacquainted with the main character and then he has to wind up either saving or avenging the death of said co-worker former co-worker it's one of those kind of things you mm-hmm. know and so that's your A plot, and then you've got your B plot where he's trying to save this kid who's about to get involved in gangland activity, and the kid has a propensity for, for I don't know, just he, he's really talented with paints and uh, you know just wall art and that kind of thing, and he sees uh, uh, Macaulay sees that that's that this kid has talent and so he wants to rescue him from the clutches of of falling into the gang and so that's your B plot and they and they somehow make these two plots come together during the final act of the of the movie pretty well I would say but there's a lot of Denzel isms here shall we say that we Oh yeah he he can, and, he can be very repetitive in movies sometimes Yeah but I thought the 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 B plot is the stronger of the two plots. The relationship between uh, Denzel Macaulay, the Denzel character, and the kid really works well. And I would like to have seen that should have been the A plot, but I understand why because it doesn't make it, it's just not as dramatically interesting, I guess, <coughs> for for people yeah. like us who are more character who who are more interested in well, character nuance. When it, when it know. comes to when it comes to the equalizer, I'm like fuck relationships. The thing that makes the first <laughs> Equalizer so good to me, and I love the first Equalizer. I think it is a great junk food movie. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's encapsulized at that closing 15-minute massacre at the Hope Depot, which is so off-the-wall ridiculous. I, I yeah. love it. I love it. I've heard you guys it's talk so about that before, and that almost makes me, <laughs> makes me want to watch it. It's great. So is there anything comparable in this one? Yeah, it, there is actually. They have a massacre in the midst of a hurricane during the last thirty minutes of the movie inside his home. <laughs> All right. So All right. Get, uh, then I then I'm I'm getting my ticket right now. Yeah, you you should because if if you like that, you're gonna love the the hurricane massacre that that takes up the last thirty minutes of the movie. But I, you know, all all in all, I I enjoyed it fine and uh, much more so than I anticipated I would, to be honest. And uh, yeah, so so I could uh, I, I would give it a slight recommendation, sure. And See, I just wanted them to like in each Equalizer movie for them to pick a different store, and for for like <laughs> at the end of, at the end of Equalizer two, he's in like Bed Bath and Beyond, and he's got to figure out how to kill people with candles and lotions and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that would be great, great. That would be great. That's a great spoof idea. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Yeah, you know what I saw this week on the big screen for the first time in ages, like literally ages. Like I saw uh, Yellow Submarine, um, which is getting a small re-release at mm. Landmark, and uh, and it was a packed house. 
I mean, there were fans there, you know, wearing their Beatles shirts and stuff, which it was fun being in, being in that crowd. And uh, there was a kid behind me who was who was definitely excited by the music. And uh, oh boy, if if you were a kid and you were seeing that for the first time, that would be revelatory. I think uh, seeing uh, Yellow Submarine on the big screen because it really is one of the great animated movies. Uh, and especially considering it didn't come from Disney or any of the established uh, animation houses. So uh, uh, Al Brodax, the director, uh, had worked on the Beatles TV series uh, for years before he worked on this. And uh, a lot of people think that it's designed by Peter Max. It's just inspired by Peter Max, but Peter Max didn't really work on it. Uh, a lot of the, the design looks like his stuff, though. But, oh, man, the, the screenwriting in it is so fun, so filled with puns, wonderful puns, and and uh, uh, it's, just, it's just exquisite. It was great seeing it with a crowd. Yeah, really I made sure my kids saw that when they were younger, and yeah. they both took, they took to it. They took to it. They enjoyed uh, that. Oh, I think so. any any kid would would dig this big time. Uh, oh yeah, because it's got a, it's got an adult sensibility, but but it's definitely it's definitely figured in for kids too. Uh, it's got an adult sensibility simply because it's it's so uh, it's so witty uh, with the words. Uh, it's just it's just great, great great movie yeah it it is good i I was going to mention before i forget it uh of course last week we lost somebody that i think we all can agree we 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 liked Uh, tab hunter died not long after we taped our last episode of a blood clot and 86 years old and i I finally caught up to tab hunter confidential which came out in 2015 Mm. and i never I got a, never got around to that until when he passed, and it reminded me, hey, I never saw that, so I need to get it out. So I did. I made that a priority, and that's a really, really good overview of his life and career for anybody who wants to know more about Tab Hunter. I thought that was just what really... What are the great Tab Hunter movies? Um, the great ones. Well, <laughs> I personally think Polyester is a great one, because <laughs> I, <think, laughs> I, think, I think that is a terrific... John Waters' film, it is the perfect balance of the, uh, the, the 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 early stuff that he did without going too far over the line into gross grotesqueness, I guess you would say. It's just a yeah. perfect blend of that stuff and the more mainstream stuff that he would do later on. It's like the middle ground. And mm-hmm. I just I think it's it's you know, it's um it's got enough of a bite that you can't really consider it a mainstream film, but it's, it doesn't veer off into those territories like Pink Flamingos. And I just, it's I, and very he's much a transitional it. movie for him. It, it is, it? and it's hysterically, it's, it's hysterical to me. I, I think it's so funny, and I laugh every time, even without the odorama card. And that was a great <laughs> piece of casting to put him in that yep. movie because that was. I still have an odorama card. <laughs> I have well, an unused Odorama card that I got. And for any, I was going to say for anybody who's listening, we'll 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 tell them real fast for anybody who's listening that Polyester was was a John Waters film that was released in 1981, and they passed out cards that were scratch and sniff cards 
and, and they would have a number on the screen, and you scratch it. And of course, with yeah. John Waters' film, these were not your normal smells. Like somebody farts, <laughs> and you scratch number two, and it smells like sulfur. It's and, not all Christmas you, trees and sugar cookies. <laughs> right. Yeah, somebody's smoking pot. There's pepperoni pizza yeah. on one, I think, and that kind of thing. So it's uh, you know, it, but it's such a such a funny movie. With the Is there a dog great, shit smell? Uh, I think I don't I'm think it's dog shit. I just I just remember somebody passes gas. Somebody breaks wind. I remember that. I think okay. it's Devine's husband, and the, and the number two comes up on the screen, and you scratch number two. So I, I remember Trigably that. Enough. But yeah, exactly. I'm sure that was purposely done. But uh, the movie has Steve Vader's, who's a famous punk rock. Oh wow! I can't remember what 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 was the group. I think Lords of the New Church is the group he was with or something. He was uh, infamously run over by a car late, not long after that movie came out. Uh, in a tragic, died very tragically. So it's, but it's it's such a, and it has opening titles by uh, the opening title theme is sung by Bill Murray, uncredited. Which is I didn't know that. interesting too. Yeah, so it's just a it's such a funny movie and, uh, and but you know there's the other tab hunter movies there's damn Yankees of course and and, we, and you know the other thing you forget is that he had a amazing career as a pop singer he had a number one a sum- record was he in uh, a summer place mm, I think so I, I believe so but I know he had yeah, a number one record a- with uh, Young Love you know he had the first version I believe of Young oh, Love oh yeah. First Love. It was and it That's was put all the way to number one, but but the documentary is amazing because you find out that he was uh, an equestrian, he was a, a figure skater, he was huh. also, of course an actor, he was uh, uh, you know pop singer, he did dinner theater. I mean, this guy was really talented, and he it, the, it goes into his relationship with um, Anthony Perkins, and apparently they had a years long. Mm-hmm. Relationship that he was had no problems with, but Anthony Perkins seemed to really be uptight about it, and and he eventually pulled the plug on it. And, mm. and well, he said done. he was uh, he saw, said he saw him a couple of years, not a couple of years, but a couple of months before he died. Yeah, and uh, he he saw him there with his wife and family, and he he felt you know good for him that he had yes he had a family that he truly cared about. Uh, the, the, the Tab Hunter Confidential. I remember when it came out, we got so many email requests for it to mm-hmm. do interviews on it. Uh, and that director kind of specializes in um, documentaries, uh, many of which involve uh, gay uh, players in, in classic Hollywood. But uh, we had him on years ago because he also directed a movie about William Castle. I was going to say, Spine Tingler, yeah. mm-hmm. which is another movie about, you know, gimmicks in the theater, like that smell card that you guys are talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is, is good, too, the, the William Castle documentary. I, I have that and uh, have have seen it, and it's really, really good. And he did one on uh, Divine. I Am Divine. That's the other one. Yeah. So, yeah. He's uh, that I, I for anybody who wants to know more about Tab Hunter, I want to uh, vouch for that one. It's it's good. It's very well made, and I, I'm really sorry that it took me this long to get to it, and, and it took his passing to get me to get to it. But sometimes that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Another great Man. documentary I saw this week. Uh, 
amazing, amazing documentary. Uh, it's directed by Ron Fricky. It's called Samsara. It's from 2011, mm-hmm. and it's on it's on Amazon Prime right now. It, it was shot in 70 millimeter in 20 different countries. Now, Ron Fricky was the cinematographer on Jeffrey Reggio's Koyana Scotsy series, so that gives you an idea. Uh, if you've seen Koyana Scotsy, you realize it, those those are documentaries kind of about the world, the shape of the world, uh, the physical shape, the social shape, and the uh, just the the uh, the kind of the environmental shape of the world. And mm-hmm. Samsara is no different. It goes it goes into its focus is primarily Asia, though. And uh, I'm telling you, this movie will blow you away. It was originally shot in 70 millimeter, and you can see the clarity watching it on Amazon Prime. You can feel it. It's so it's so amazing. Uh, it's got great music in it. Uh, Lisa Gerard did some of the music. Who's in yeah. Dead Can Dance? Yeah, and did some of the music for. Uh, for didn't she do some of the music for Heat or something? Yeah, and, some and, of the, and uh, Insider. Yeah, yeah, the Insider too. Gladiator and that kind. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh man, you are not. If you watch Samsara, S A M S A R A. If you watch that, you will you will absolutely not see a more powerful movie this year. I guarantee you, even on television, uh, even on your computer. Though uh, so I would watch it on the biggest screen possible, so you can totally be blown away by these images. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you just as a as a warning. Like a lot of Mondo movies, movies about the world, Mondo. That's what that word means in Spanish. Uh, it means world. And a lot of these world movies have very distasteful parts to them. Uh, this one has two sequences. One, uh, they were easy to skip over uh, on Prime, and I did. <laughs> I, there was a scene that took place in an animal processing plant, you know, processing chickens and, and cows for food and I didn't want to see any of that so I skipped right over it and uh, there was also a sequence that took place in a plastic surgery office and I didn't want to see any of that either so I went right over those things but all the rest of it was fine and uh, it was quite beautiful stunning Uh, highly 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 recommended don't miss it what else did I see what do you guys what do you guys think of uh what do you guys think of Tail Rider? The Eastwood film from eighty five. I remember enjoying it back in the day. It's been a long time. I might feel differently now, but I feel like I, I my my impression back then was pretty good. Isn't it the last two westerns that Eastwood's made? You know, there's thirty three years that he's made two westerns. And it's that one in Unforgiven. He hasn't made another Western, has he? No. Nope. Nope. Wouldn't it be great if he went back and did another Western? He is going to be <laughs> in his next movie, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
This is, is he interesting. Playing like, does it, some kind of big, he's playing a drug. He's playing a drug mule. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, Pell Rider. It's it's meant to be uh, like he is a, a ghost of some sort or an avenging angel or something. So they yeah. shoot his eyes in dark in darkness, and uh, it's got be- beautiful uh, cinematography and the costuming is great. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I I did really enjoy it. But uh, tell me what you think his limitations are, both as an actor and a director. I'm interested to know you guys' assessment of of Eastwood as a talent. We all admire him because he's he's. Uh, just in terms of his productivity. Um, wow. But what, what else? What else do we sometimes, like? Sometimes I think he, he hems too close to that. He likes to do very few takes. He doesn't, he doesn't like to do very many takes. And sometimes he has actors who need more takes who aren't really actors. Uh, they need, they need another take because, Sometimes the acting in his movies uh, leaves something to be desired. Uh, isn't very convincing. Uh, yeah, that was a big problem amateur. with the, the. Yeah. Yeah. The last one that was a big problem with the fifteen seventeen to Paris. I thought that because uh-huh. those guys were they were non actors and they didn't you know they weren't pros and they needed a little more coddling shall we say yeah and, yeah uh, it it because I I felt I he probably was doing what he normally does, which is limited takes and let's get this on and yada 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 and these guys, you know, they're 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 new to this filmmaking thing. Yeah. And they needed a little and it and, it, and that was one of the biggest criticisms of the movie was the the, the performances because those guys pull it off. We're non actors, yeah. Yeah, so I think Yeah, that was the same problem there. with uh the uh the Vietnamese actors in Gran Torino. Mm-hmm. I felt I felt they they needed more takes, and also those those actors playing uh, playing Meryl Streep's children in uh, Bridges of Madison County, who I assume were professional actors, but they were really poor in it, mm-hmm. and uh, and that just confuses me. As as great a director as well as well directed as that particular movie is, that's a big flaw in it. Mm-hmm. Like a major yeah. flaw, um, but uh, I don't find many. That's that's his biggest. That's his biggest uh, uh, fault as a director. I think maybe he doesn't have the patience uh, for uh, for extended takes. Yeah, yeah. When he needs it. As a performer, though, I don't know what. What his limitations are? I mean, his his range is somewhat limited, I would say. But you know, he does well within his range, uh, and I think he's smart enough to know what his range is. I feel like he's expanded that range over the over the past two decades, though. Uh, yeah. You know, with things like In the Line of Fire, and uh, well, yeah, and, that's true. And uh, 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 Bridges of Madison County, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like he's become a lot more emotional. Yeah, 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 yeah. A little less, uh, uh, yeah. A little less steely. I think so. I think so too. And I, 
But I do see, and I've always said this about Eastwood, I do see him as a mixed bag in terms of his directing. Uh, I mean, there's something there's something to be said for an actor that you absolutely know who they are, and so when you go in, you know that you're going to get an Eastwood performance. You know exactly what that means, and it doesn't really offer many deviations from that formula. But with his movies that he directs, uh, it's more of a mixed bag for me because he, I think he's uh, uh, 100% A-plus craftsperson. Uh, I mean, I think he, he's been doing it so long that he knows, okay, let's move it, let's move it, I know how to do this. But if he had taken, if he took more time, like maybe another draft, or, or mm-hmm. maybe a little more time making particular moments, his movies would be better. But but also that I think sometimes he in somewhere in there is an artist um, it, it, that that supersedes the craftsman, and I think sometimes in the movies he directs he hits upon art. Uh, I mean, he hits upon something that that matters and something that will live. Um, mm. But I I I think it's it's just the same for him as any other movie or any other moment from a movie. Mm. I think it's, let's, let's get this done. Um, you know, cause I do think that there are moments in Madison County that are like that. And, 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 and a million dollar baby where he does hit upon something very uh, artful, artful and expressive and mm-hmm. unforgiven. Um, and mm-hmm. then there are times 20 more examples of where he misses it. I think. And I will say, I've always said this about Million Dollar Baby and uh, Mystic River, that uh, their endings bother me. They, they always have. And, and, and not because of any kind of uh, moral stance I take on euthanasia or revenge killing or any of that crap. I just, mm-hmm. I don't find them, I don't find them consistent with the characters that he's built in the, uh, up to that point. Mm-hmm. That's 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 a great uh, observation. Can't, <laughs> yeah, can't I mean, disagree. I think they're provocative endings. But you watch Mystic River, and it, it is so it is so uh, uh, embroiled in the the Boston street and that whole thing, that whole machismo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the end of it, end of it, all of a sudden, Laura Linney and Pin are like quoting Shakespeare to one another. <laughs> that is odd. It's very odd. Uh, but there are moments of such great power in that movie. And the Million Dollar Baby, and uh, forgive anyone who's listened to us for the past 11, 12 years, and they know my take on this, but I guess we're on the topic, so it's worth repeating. Uh, I just don't think that he would kill her at the end of it. And you know, I'm all for it. Hey, killer! But I don't think that's right for. For that mostly, character, I don't think it's right for Hillary Swank. Mm. Uh, I mean, she's she, she's fought her whole life. He's been the one trying to urge her to keep fighting, and, yeah. and then she, and then once she finds what she needs, which is kind of a parental figure that loves her and that she loves back. That's the thing to live for. She's found another reason to live, and mm-hmm. what she has with him. 
I guess that character could not could not not accept it. Uh it's tough, but uh I think that character could not envision a life where she couldn't move uh as she was used to and she couldn't pursue her her great love, which is which was boxing. Uh so it was difficult for her to envision a future. Uh yeah. and I can I can respect that. Uh that is a tough ending to that movie though. <laughs> I mean it's mm-hmm. rough. Uh there's very few movies that, that uh, affect you so so deeply as that yeah, movie. That's true. It does. It's a great great film. Uh mm-hmm. uh Yeah. I mean I, I, I watched High, High Plains Drifter, Drifter this week. I love that movie. Uh, that, that's my favorite of the westerns, by the way, for whatever it's worth. I love it too. It's such a great movie. It's such a, it's like a ghost story, you know. It is. So, it's it is it is a ghost story. It's basically a horror movie. Yeah. 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 It's 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 basically a horror movie. Uh, so, oh man, is there anything like seeing that town painted red for the first time? <laughs> In that movie, oh uh, man, when you see that red town uh, in the middle of the desert, oh, it is stunning, stunning. What a great cast too, Jeffrey Lewis and and uh, so many Verna great people. Bl- Mitchell Verna Ryan, Bloom. yeah, Verna Bloom, yeah. yeah, yeah. What a great cast. Oh, it, but it's brutal. It is a brutal mm-hmm. movie. I have to I have to warn everyone. Yeah, there's a, there's a rape in the first what ten fifteen minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's true. But, but it has a great sense of humor too. That's the other thing. I mean, it's 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 a dark it movie, but it's also a very funny movie in the way that I that that I perceive funny to be, uh, <laughs> which is to say, very subversive. You have a little bit of a sense of humor, don't you? Of course I do. I'm uh, Gallows <laughs> Humor is my middle name. Everybody knows that, but uh, yeah, this is true. And so it, it appeals to me on that level because, you know, he comes in and he takes the uh, the, the the little person, shall we say, and makes him the sheriff. And, and the mayor. And the mayor, <laughs> yes. And there's just, I mean, that's that's hysterical. That's absolutely hysterical. He's yeah, very Billy good Curtis, in it. Yeah, that, Billy Curtis. Yeah, yeah, Billy Curtis. He's great in it. I'm the sheriff and the mayor. And he's. <laughs> he's used to being, you know, put down around town, and now he's the head poncho, so that's terrific. Yep. Oh, oh man, it's, it is. It is. It's so great. So great. Uh, mm-hmm. What else did I watch this week? Oh, I watched a whole bunch of stuff. I watched a lot of bad movies. <laughs> like, I, not used. I, that's not something I'm used to, but I watched a. Jack Lemmon movie from 1972 called The War Between Men and Women, uh, which was based on James Thurber and has animated sequences. Uh, Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Kind of a... a, Not not a great movie. (laughs) I wanted it to be wonderful uh, because of the James Thurber connection. Uh, And uh, too bad it just didn't work. But... uh, I watched Dreamer, which is one of the few bowling movies out there from 1979 with Tim Matheson as mm-hmm. title character. 
a a champion bowler who's nicknamed Dreamer. And of course, he has an old mentor who dies in the movie. <laughs> of course, played by uh played by Jack Warden. And uh I, I don't know. I wanted it to be a taco movie, but it didn't work. I watched Eye for an Eye. Mentor? Yeah, <laughs> Not many bowling movies out there, so if you're looking for a bowling movie, yeah. you know, other than Big Lebowski, so, Dreamer. So is, Je- is Jack Warden like the like like the Burgess Meredith to Rocky? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's funny because I just watched The Champ, and he's the same. He's he's uh, John Boyd's trainer in The Champ, which came out the same year. So that's oh yeah, funny. that is funny. Uh, I forgot. You, you know what? I I, re- I rewatched. Yeah. Uh, um, and then we'll get to an eye for an eye. But while we're talking about mm-hmm. Jack Warden, I rewatched Irvin Kirsch, not Irvin Kirshner, Irwin Winkler's remake of Night in the City again recently. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that movie that I really like. Uh, but Jack Warden obviously plays a big part in that. But I think uh, I think it's an underrated De Niro performance because there is such a, a manic desperation to his performance in that movie. And and yet this vulnerability in it uh, that I respond really well to, and there's a great physical scene in the movie, uh, a, a great example of physical acting, where Alan King is the big uh, villain. He's the big mob kind of guy that's that hangs over the piece, which is great casting. And Alan King goes over to intimidate De Niro, and he presses his fingers, his index fingers, against De Niro's temples. And he does it so hard, and De Niro's trying to maintain a facade of, of pleasantry, of, you know, you can't get me. And yet you can tell he's in intense pain, and it's this agonized facial expression on his face that always gets to me. It's such hmm. like a kind of a specific look that he gets during that scene that feels so truthful and helpless uh, that uh, really kind of moves me. I think it's a worthy film. It's not. It's not, you know... It's not an A plus. It's it's it, you know it's a B B minus movie, but uh, it has enough elements in it that are interesting and, and that work, and they're so specific that uh, make it worthwhile. I think. Hmm. I never yeah, saw that actually. I never I remember when it came back. out. Yeah. Okay. Never did. It came out in the early nineties, right? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those. Yeah, guys. It, it didn't didn't really get, give a blip on the screen, um, other than the press it got for being a remake and for Winkler mm-hmm. reteaming with De Niro mm-hmm. this time as a director. Uh, yeah, I uh, I'm curious curious about you guys' opinion on this. I saw I rewatched this. This is coming out in August on uh, on disc, but I got an early copy on it. It's a ten from your show of shows, which was. Uh, 1973 compilation of uh, segments from the sketch show, Your Show of Shows. And this is, you know, it was a lot of Sid Caesar and Carl Reiner and Imogene Coco were the castmates. And uh, I don't know, I had seen that when I was a teenager. It used to turn up on HBO quite a bit. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking I was supposed to think it was funny because it's well-reviewed. And in all the books you look up, it's like four stars. This is cream of the crop comedy and... Yada yada yada, and I Mel really Brooks didn't think it was Woody Allen. Yeah, Mel Brooks, writer. Yeah, my, uh, Mel Tolkien, all that. And 
you know, I remember watching it as a teenager on HBO and thinking it was mildly funny, but nothing that was, you know, that would put me over the edge, so to speak, <laughs> into fits of hysteria. And so it's probably been 30 years since I've seen it, and the the box set of Sid Caesar stuff it came out, and that was part of it, and I put it on, and I, my reaction was just the same. It's it's like there there's a lot of physical shtick, and some of it's funny, but... I don't know. And, and is it because and I maybe came from that a different... stuff is a little dated for us? Maybe I was dated. wondering because, like I said, I tried it when I was a teenager back in the '80s when it turned up on HBO, and I, and I had the exact same reaction now. And I and and I appreciate the artistry, and but there, but it just doesn't connect with me like it, uh, like I thought it should. And I, I and by the end of the movie, I, I was just thinking it was kind of silly, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah. It wasn't, you know. Yeah, I never connected to that show at all. I just uh, for for some reason. So I'm with you 100%. Okay. Okay. So an eye for an eye, which is also on Prime, is a mm-hmm. late period uh late mid 90s movie from John Schlesinger of all people. <laughs> I remember <laughs> probably it. one of his last movies. Um, I think it was the last, I believe. Was it? Okay. I think so. Um, uh, there might be one other. Uh, didn't he do some uh, costume movie? Yeah, well, uh, he did Cold Comfort Farm, but that was Cold- the year before. Okay. Uh, well, you know, this was interesting. Sally Field uh, and Ed Harris play the parents of two daughters, and there's a brutal scene in the in the first few minutes uh, of a home invasion in which one of the daughters was killed, and Sally Field uh, goes to the trial of the killer, where he's, uh, the killer is played by uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, who plays a great bad guy, as we all know, so uh, he's he's let off, and she goes, she goes crazy with uh, paranoia thinking that he's around every corner, and sometimes he is. And uh, not not a bad movie, entertaining. Uh, Sally, you know, Sally Field is vigilante. It's kind of Sally Field is vigilante. <laughs> yeah. She's a tough lady. <laughs> As we've seen in other movies, she can be very tough. And uh, she was very believable in it. Uh, I really like the cast. Um, uh, the girls were good, and uh, Joe, Manta- Joe Mantegna is the detective that uh, catches him, and Beverly D'Angelo uh, plays her best friend, and uh, Philip Baker Hall is in there as well, Keith David. Uh, so good cast. Uh, I recommend it. I would recommend it. Uh, I didn't love it, but... Uh, I uh, I enjoyed it. I just yeah. remember that got savaged when it came out in the in Big back time. in the day. It sure did, and I saw it. Uh, but yeah, the next best thing was the last thing he made. By the way, sorry, the Madonna thing. Forgot about that. Oh yeah, that's what I, that's but, what I remembered. Yep. Yeah. That's the one I remembered. But but, so but it yeah, got savaged. Oh yeah, I remember. Like Roger Ebert was just <laughs> he. 
Oh, he couldn't have hated it more. I and I think uh, like I want to say Malton gave it maybe a star and a half or something. He was pretty pretty much. Yeah, you know, it didn't 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 do well with critics at all. That's the thing I remember. And I I did see it, and I didn't think it was quite as bad as they they said it was. But I haven't seen it since it came out in the theater because I was projectionist back then, so I would see a lot of things. Well, that, 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 wow, opening, both that opening sequence is that opening sequence is pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. Because the, when she's being raped and murdered, Sally Field's on the phone with her, hearing yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, which must have been must have been a great acting challenge because here Sally Field is on the street, running, and mm-hmm. she's supposed to imagine what she's hearing over the phone. Um, so I, I would say that's probably a very specific acting challenge. But uh, yeah. to give you a sense of what was a Paramount film, mm-hmm. and Paramount was dying. Uh, around uh, this time, yeah. Uh, I mean, may- maybe maybe not for I. Well, I think probably still for I for an eye. But I remember a time when the only product they had for the holiday season, like the whole fall season, was uh, Leap of Faith, which I like right. Leap of Faith as a film. But uh, I mean, that's your one movie. <laughs> that, that's yeah. Also, on, that's your, also on Prime shape. these days. Yeah. Yeah, uh yeah, I like that. I like Leap of Faith a lot. Uh yeah. Really, really good. I remember that I really guy. Forrest Gump Great really Steve Martin in ninety four. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that and Braveheart I think the following year, those that was a one two punch that kinda pulled them pulled them out of the <laughs> out of the grave. The doldrum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I watched a lot of westerns over the past couple of weeks. I watched uh, the Cowboys, the uh, great uh, jo- uh, um, Mark, Mark Rydell, Rydell movie yeah. with John Wayne, uh, and all those boys in it are great. Uh, I mean, really terrific uh, kid performances in it. Beautiful photography, great John Williams score, Oscar nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just beautiful. been reissued, by the way, as a full, the f- complete score is now available. Just like recently, in the last couple of months, just came out. So if you, so it's ironic you mentioned that. Yeah, what a, uh, also also some really good supporting players. Of course, Bruce Dern, mm-hmm. incredible as the villain, who has and uh, a few incredible scenes with one of the boys in it. Uh, who he threatens, and uh, boy, that must have been a tough scene to to film. Uh, but boy, is it great! Uh, what what a what a terrific villain uh, Bruce Dern can be. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely chilling. Uh, so so great, and uh, also watch rewatch the Tales from the Crypt, the seventy two version with uh, Joan Collins. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Ralph Richardson and uh, yeah. Peter Cushing. There's not a better horror anthology movie out there. There just isn't. Uh, they've tried, and that's that's the king of them all, if you ask me. That's also on Prime these days. That's how I'm watching most of my movies. <laughs> I watched uh, Barbarossa, the uh, really terrific. Easy. Early '80s movie, yeah, western with uh, Gary Busey 
as a farm boy who gets caught up in the life of a legendary gunfighter played by Willie Nelson. And, wow, terrific movie. What a great score. Bruce Smeaton, that's the score. He did a lot of great scores in the early 80s that are primarily, like, the lead instrument is like a flute, like a pan flute. Yeah, uh, that's he did. True. He did Iceman. Uh, yeah, remember that's that one? Chipezi. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. say. I think he worked with Chapezi a lot because if you look at the his uh, IMDb page, you'll notice they collaborated quite a few times. And yeah, yeah, I lo- I have the soundtrack, the uh, vinyl album for uh, Iceman. That's a great score. You're right. Great score. That's one I haven't picked and up yet. It's good. Now what? what good. Uh, now which composer is that? Bruce Smeaton. Bruce Smeaton. S M E H E O N. And what and what did you say? He, what else did I do? Have the soundtrack to count the cowboys on vinyl. Yeah, Iceman is the one that uh, right. th- that I think is great that he's talking about, and and Barbarossa <coughs> is the other. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, Barbarossa! No, yeah. I I do have there what they you stick combs in. <laughs> the blue liquid that you stick combs in. Be- Barbarossa. <laughs> gotcha. That's the sequel to Barbarossa, isn't it? Barbasol. <laughs> Good. Uh, hey, did you guys hear that they discovered it? Uh, well, it's not new, but it's duly discovered. A Kubrick screenplay from 1956. It's almost complete. I mean, it's it's pretty much complete. He completed oh, it. Wow. He never produced it. Uh, uh, I'd have to look up the name of it, but uh, it, uh, it it's probably too. Oh, it's called Burning Secret. Hmm. Written in oh, I've heard of it. I remember reading about it. <clears throat> Where a guy uses a a ten year old boy to get to the mother. And there are undercurrents of, you know, kind of Lolita esque kind of quality to it. So. And then he ended up dropping it and making Lolita instead. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. So constant things, constantly things happening on the Kubrick front. It seems he will he will, he will never the, stop uh, revealing. What's the word on uh, Spielberg's version of Napoleon? Has there been any further word yeah. on it? I'm curious about that. There has been that. no movement on that. There's been no movement on that. I forget who was attached to direct it. It wasn't. Spielberg, I mean, Spielberg's producing, obviously, but it was, they did have a director attached. I, I haven't heard anything on that front. I mean, what a mammoth, mammoth production that will be yeah. if, if it happens. So many of these know. things, they get announced and they never come to fruition. I'm starting to get to the point where I don't trust anything I read anymore as far as these announcements, because I've been duped so many times. I get excited and then it just doesn't yeah. happen. I've I was just reading uh, today, actually, that uh, not that I was super excited about this, but I was curious. Bill and Ted Three <laughs> right. is, is getting canceled, probably. And uh-huh. you know, it's it's like why take the time to to to, to put out all these press releases and make a big to do about it when it all comes to nothing. You know, like, first Napoleon and now Bill and Ted Three. What the right. hell, people? What the hell's going on? Right. <laughs> But I mean, seriously, it's it's like that happens all the time. I remember a couple of years ago, they were talking about doing a Marvin Gaye biopic, 
with uh, that's um, always that's always uh, been talked Lin, well, about. Yeah, but it's Lenny Kravitz was was attached. Oh and yeah. Gonna, and I thought, oh, that could be great. And I got you know all jazzed up about that. Huh, never heard a word. And then there was a night stalker that. We, we, yeah, Go ahead. and the Janis Joplin thing that's been going on forever. Oh, oh yeah, that forever. Too, yeah. <laughs> Are they ever going to get one done on that? I mean, yeah. they're working on one right now, aren't they? But is that there's there have been dead so many multitudes of multitudes of Joplin. I think the closest uh, they've gotten is whatever Amy Adams has been shepherding. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, I, and, and I don't know what the ultimate problem. I, I'm sure the ultimate problem has something to do with her estate. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, music uh, right, right. Yeah, and then you have sure stuff like uh, the stuff that uh, Stone has wanted to do. Like Stone, Oliver Stone wanted to make his um, Martin Luther King film, and he oh, had it all yeah. cast and everything, and and the estate put the kibosh on that. Right. Uh, yeah. Even when they're dead. Yeah. Even when they're dead, they, you know, there's there's roadblocks. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and so I'm I've just as I've gotten older, it's, and I see these press releases, I take it with a grain of salt. I'm like, yeah, that'll never happen. That that's not gonna happen. Until I see that it's actually going before cameras, I'm not gonna believe anything. So. <laughs> yeah. What if they ever did that? When they when they had to physically mail out press releases, if they ever just like sprinkled in a grain of salt in the envelope with the uh... <laughs> <laughs> probably should have. Speaking of biopics, can I tell you I am so ridiculously excited about the new Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, don't worry, he won't get far on foot because I'm a huge uh, fan of the cartoonist. It's about. Uh, John Callahan, uh, who had much work published, even though uh, he was also uh, he was he was paralyzed. I think he had to do a lot of his drawing with his mouth. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but uh, uh, his cartoons became famous in a multitude of uh, '70s publications, like. National Lampoon, Playboy, so forth. Uh, lots of lots of famous cartoons that when you see them in the movie, you'll go, "Oh, it's those! I re- I've seen that one before." You know, the restaurant with the there's a scene in a restaurant. You know, that he draws and there's a there's a frog coming in with no legs <laughs> with some on one of those things that you drag yourself along the floor with. You know, he's coming in, and there's just the people sitting at the table looking at the frog and with no legs while they're eating his legs. <laughs> mm. So, I uh, I love his cartoons, and it looks like Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Jonah Hill are going to be fantastic in it, and it's got a really great cast. Of course, it's Gus Van Sant. And it feels like forever since Van Sant has delivered something that people love, and I think I think people are going to dig this one. It's my early prediction for best actor for Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, sounds sounds. Uh, it's, definitely it's about time he won. <laughs> yeah. Hey. 
here's some here's some cliches that this writer in some website called Dipley, D-I-P-L-Y, is tired of. Okay. Uh, here's one. A pregnant woman's water breaks, and she says, the baby is coming now. <laughs> that, that is not how... Not how that works. Um, <laughs> I always hate uh, birth scenes in movies with all the screaming and everything. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I know, I know it's painful and everything, but I don't know if I I bristle at that. Maybe maybe might be just a typical male view. We don't Here's like another to one. see women hanging up the phone without saying. Hanging up the phone without saying goodbye. You know what I love? <laughs> I love when they say when they say dinner tomorrow night. All right, and then they hang up. And well, where are you going? What time are you meeting? Like, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Here's another one. There's a big breakfast set up, but the husband, wife, or kid takes one bite and runs out the door. Oh, that's that's typical in in a lot of movies, you know. Like they they have a big plate of food and they eat two bites and and leave. I I guess that's because the food, like really in in actuality, in the in the shooting of the piece, has been sitting around for hours and they can't eat it. <laughs> so it could be under the hot lights. It's getting it's getting kind of rancid. I know when I did my movie. A long time ago, the sheriff and the satellite kid. <laughs> uh, I was told I was given I was playing a fat kid, so I was I was uh, given a sandwich to carry throughout the piece. Well, that sandwich this was we were shot in the middle of the summer outside, and carrying that sandwich around it became impossible to eat it because it was hmm. it just. Stank, and you just—it just was not appetizing. That's, that well, might be the reason why people ne- never eat in movies. Well, I always heard when they do eating scenes that they always have a spit bucket nearby that the actor, so they can, you know, because if they eat too many times with multiple takes, they're obviously going to be sick. So they they have a spit bucket. I think it was Tim Madison who was talking about that on a recent podcast. I heard him. He said that. That he was talking about some scene where he had to do a lot of eating, and he said that typically they do use a spit bucket. Of course, Tom Green. Yeah. And, uh, uh, is, is, who's the actor who was in uh, uh, Napoleon Dynamite? John Grease. Uh, yeah. He's the son of the director, Tom Grease. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he was a vegetarian, and he was he was required in Napoleon Dynamite. To eat these steaks in this scene, and he had to he he had to spit out the steaks, but he had to eat them like like he loved it, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's a that's a big thing. Hey, too. what man? I've got a lot of stories about Tom and John Grice. I do. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, here's another cliche. Uh, when a character says. I didn't sign up for this. Usually said by a police officer who, in fact, did sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> good one. That is yes. a good one. And also, I'm getting too old for this shit. 
That's yeah, always that's another fail. one. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, when an animal is licking someone's face as they sleep, and they think they're being kissed by a beautiful woman. <laughs> <laughs> that one goes all the way back to the old uh, Our Gang comedies, because I remember... That's true. One that, yeah, you remember the one where they're on the train, and... Uh, and the guy, and, yeah. the, and the guy, he's getting uh, licked by a grizzly bear when the animals get loose in, on the train, and he thinks it's a woman. He's smiling, and he wakes up, and there's a big grizzly bear about ready to maul him. You know, that, that, that's, that's, that's been going on a long time. <laughs> the television always happens to be set to the exact channel with the exact news story playing right at the exact time when someone turns that's the true. TV on. Mm-hmm. That that's a bad one. You know what I hate too. Uh, more modern uh, cliche is when you see stuff on a computer and like stuff popping up on the screen on the computer and it comes on with a beep or something. Beep beep beep. beep. You know, computers they don't make those sounds. <laughs> no, that's it's, true. You know, you know, it's goof goofy. Uh, performers performers can easily pick out a loved one in a massive crowd with lights glaring on them. Nah. Which really, it, it, if you're on stage or something, you, you know, you can't usually really see anything. You can't uh, see shit. That's right. You can catch out, outlines of people in the opening or the first row. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I always get annoyed on in Christmas movies, if you ever notice, when they're opening gifts... If it's a box, they always just take the lid off. They never unwrap it. It's it's like you can always just easily take the lid off. There's there's never any unwrapping going on. I've Too much that. tape. I guess. <laughs> you know, I, my grandmother used to wrap Christmas presents, and she used to wrap them so you couldn't get them open because they had so much tape on them. She just uh. enjoyed watching you trying to open it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm failing. Oh, uh, my phone is beeping. Oh. Evil, movies that are set at least 100 years ago that uh, feature characters with shockingly perfect teeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Excellent. Excellent. Um, when characters drive and the steering wheel is moving all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I hate it. I hate it when they're not looking at the road. Right. I can't stand that. They do a great riff on that in Airplane. You remember the scene where uh, Robert Stack's being driven to the airport and he keeps turning the wheel and turning and turning and turning, and and behind him the the background. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he's running into bicycles and stuff. Yeah, he runs over bicycles, and then there's like a, a, a hor- a suddenly a bunch of horses are charging at him in the background, and they keep they turn this curve that looks like it goes for uh, it, it must turn a dozen times within a minute because <laughs> they just keep turning the wheel. Oh yeah, that's great. The film awesome. gets pro- the background film gets progressively crazier. Yeah, yeah, it's that's 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 a great riff on that very same thing you're talking about. The thing that I get sick of, the line that I get sick of more than anything, is they've been hunting this this character down throughout the entire movie. 
And by the time they catch up with him and beat the crap out of him, they're about to finish it off. They all, they're always told, he's not worth it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, well, what have we what have we spent two hours doing here? Yeah. Well, I, I just remember when I saw Karate Kid Part 2, and, and again, I was a teenager, but I was so angry when that movie got to the end because you've been building up a good head of steam for two hours, you know, with, with the Daniel character, and he finally gets the face off at the end. He's getting ready to just – he's got the opportunity to just pummel him, and then he grabs his nose and goes honk, honk, you know, honks the guy's nose instead. He's supposed to laugh. I was so angry. I said, finish it, man. <laughs> Come on. That kid deserves to die. Yeah, that's right. Well, for what he did through the course of the movie, I mean, he was merciless, and he's got his chance to get the, even the score, and he wants to turn it into a joke. I, I remember just being yeah. so angry. But, yeah. And that's, that'll, that'll be my sound clip of myself that I use for, for this show. That kid deserves to die. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course that's all set up with Miyagi does it to the to the coach at the beginning. Yeah, yep. The Hong Kong thing. That's true. Yeah, yeah. they got to pay that off. That's what it's all about. But somebody said, well, well what, what did you want? I said, I wanted Dirty Daniel. That's what I wanted. Uh, <laughs> 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 And, of course, horror movies are filled with them. I mean, oh, you yeah. Can, oh, Never, never run out of cliches when it comes to horror movies. Like the, you know, it just happened to trip during the, uh, you know, you'll always trip when you're being chased by a bad man or something. Or, or you know, you and of course, sex. you can't find the keys to the car. Oh yeah, got to get away. Can't find the keys. Ah, oh, blah. <laughs> There's so many of them. They get the. Horror movies get so tiresome because mm-hmm. of all those all those cliches. It, I know this is television, but I got to say I had never seen The Prisoner. Have you guys watched? The, have you ever watched that TV the, show, The Prisoner? David Chanston? No, uh, Patrick McGowan. Yeah, mm. I, I never did. It's on Amazon Prime now, and boy, is that a crazy, crazy show. I can see why it has a major cult following. Boy, you're, your mouth is just dropped open while you're watching it. You just, you know, the uh, the nuttiness of the uh, editing and the camera work and the art direction and the story itself uh, is is overwhelming. So... It's available late on 60s? Prime. Mid sixties, I'd say, sixty six huh. maybe, sixty. And it only went if ran for. If, if you think about it, and Richard Lester is actually still alive, mm-hmm. but a man. If you think about film editing, um, Richard Lester shepherded a lot of movies that had, or several that had very bold editing. Because I, I, a couple of years back, I rewatched Patul. Petulia, Petulia, yeah, and the editing of that is just insane. It is, it is. That was that. That was that late sixties kind of editing. That that was that was very disorienting. Uh, Yeah, that's a that's that's a masterpiece. Uh, Yep. If you've never seen Petulia, you got to watch it.
just today I re- just today I rewatched a really good Gene Hackman movie that you've never seen, Dean, because you've refused to see it. And that's uh No Way Out. Oh yeah, I love No that. Way Out. Yeah. I love No Way Out. I really do. Yeah. Cause I, there's I, no I, I way out. <laughs> what? Well, Is well, that going to be the song at the end of the show? <laughs> yes, no. I don't know if I can find that song. That would be a perfect song. That is one of the cheesiest songs. And it takes place during the much, much heralded love scene in the Balibo. Oh, yeah. And there's no way out. Oh, jeez. <laughs> See if you can find it. When I looked in your eyes I could see us together Now I find myself here Just wondering where I should turn back Just 